Good morning. I am a sucker for a catchy tune. Often I'll be walking around the house singing and Debbie, my wife, will stop me and say, do you have any idea what you're singing about? And often, to be honest, I have to confess that I don't. I haven't really thought about the lyrics or understanding what they mean. I've just been enjoying the tune. But actually, the lyrics of a song can reveal so much. For example, I love the Beatles. They're just my favourite band of all time. They've got this amazing back catalogue of songs. And I just love singing them. But behind the catchy tunes often are stories. For example, on We Can Work It Out, we're listening to Paul McCartney tell the story of different arguments that he's been having with his girlfriend at the time, Jane Asher. Penny Lane can be seen as a story of four Liverpool boys who are far away from home enjoying the successes of life, but somehow pining for the simple uh, memories and realities of life in South Liverpool. Hey Jude was written by Paul McCartney for, for John Lennon's son, Julian, in the wake of John's divorce from Julian's mother, Cynthia, as a kind of encouragement and a come on, you'll be okay. Even I, Me, Mine by George Harrison uh, tells the story really of the selfishness and the petty feuds and, uh, and jealousies that aroused between the Beatles towards the end of their time together. Help is one of the most famous Beatles songs ever. In fact, it's probably one of the most famous songs ever full stop. It was number one in 1965 in 13 different countries and it now has nearly 150 million plays on Spotify. But you might not realise the autobiographical nature of the song. It literally was a cry for help from John Lennon. See, in 1965, John was shattered from two years of near constant touring and recording, two years in which he spent virtually all of his time eating and drinking in hotel rooms far from home. He'd been taking loads of drugs. Uh, his marriage to his childhood sweetheart was on the rocks. He was piling on weight. He was anxious and he was isolated. Despite all of his, of his success, John Lennon was not a happy man. And understanding what was going on in John's life at this time doesn't half change the feeling of the song Help. It seems like an, a jaunty, exciting melody quickly gets lost when you consider what's going on underneath with the lyrics. Songs with deep meaning feature massively in our series that we're looking at on the story of King David and the lessons we can learn from him. We've been working our way through 1 Samuel and looking at the story of King David and we're going to take a slight pause this week and instead of going through the narrative we're going to look at a couple of psalms, songs that he wrote in response to some of the events that he saw in his life so far. Now, like the Beatles, David does have this amazing back catalogue of songs, which are almost like a, an autobiographical trawl through his life. He wrote 73 psalms in all, often responding to a wide range of life events and emotions. He writes psalms celebrating victories and high points in his life. He writes psalms where he's asking God for help at difficult moments and crying out in pain and danger. He writes psalms of lament after tragic events like the death of his son, Absalom, which we'll learn about later. And he even writes psalms of confession and forgiveness where he realises he's made a big mess and he needs God uh, in, in repentance. What I want us to do this morning is to really learn and catch from David what it is to worship God in every season. David was a man after God's own heart. He had a depth of love and trust in God, which if we can just grasp a little bit of, it will make a huge difference to our ability to worship God and to be close to him in life's many ups and downs. 
You know, like John Lennon, David had moments of deep pain and anxiety in his life. But you know what? He never wrote a song quite like Help. Because Help is the song of a desperate man out of options and not knowing where to turn. Shouting into the ether, help, I need somebody. But David's psalms are songs of faith-filled worship, revealing a trust in God which would help him through any circumstance. I want to look at a couple of these psalms together this morning which show us how worshipping God in the highs and in the lows of life is such an amazing blessing. And I want to ask the question this morning, if you're struggling, are you a John Lennon or are you a David? Here's the first thing I want us to take away from this morning. It's, that, it's this, that worshipping God in the depths of life begins with worshipping him in the heights of life. We're going to start by looking at a psalm, which is Psalm number nine. It's a psalm written by David reflecting, uh, possibly some years later, on his victory over the giant Goliath. We looked at that story back when we looked at 1 Samuel 17. I've asked Jay just to read this psalm out for us, just the first 12 verses or so. A reading from Psalm 9. I will give thanks to you, Lord, with all my heart. I will tell of all your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and rejoice in you. I will sing praises of your name, O Most High. My enemies turn back. They stumble and perish before you. For you have upheld my right and my cause, sitting enthroned as the righteous judge. You have rebuked the nations and destroyed the wicked. You have blotted out their name forever and ever. Endless ruin has overtaken my en enemies. You have uprooted their cities. Even the memory of them has perished. The Lord reigns forever. He has established his throne for judgment. He rules the world in righteousness and judges the people with equity. The Lord is a refuge for the oppressed. A stronghold in times of trouble. Those who know your name trust in you, for you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. Sing the praises of the Lord enthroned in Zion. Proclaim among the nations what he has done. For he avenges blood, remembers. He does not ignore the cries of the afflicted. I wonder how you celebrate the big joyful moments in your life. Things like, you know, marriage or getting a new job, having a baby or getting a degree or some sort of qualification. Normally when these things happen in my life, I'm most keen to share these moments with my wife and my family and my friends. I love to celebrate with food and drink. It's a great opportunity to get a celebratory Smith down Balti. But being honest, honestly, I'm often totally lousy at remembering God in these moments, remember to thank him. Often, whatever it is, will be something that I've prayed for really hard, but somehow in the thrill of victory and the thrill of success, God can get a bit lost. He certainly doesn't get the amount of credit and thanks that he should get in proportion to the amount of prayer and time that I spent asking him for that victory. You know what? The attitude we take in good times to God greatly affects our ability to cope with difficult times. I really believe that. I think John Lennon's story is a great example of this. In 1965, he is, by most measures, a phenomenally successful man. He's world famous, he's wealthy beyond, beyond his dreams, and he's surrounded by admirers. But as we've mentioned, under the surface, as Help reveals, he's fallen apart. But the lyrics of Help help us to reveal something about how that might have happened. It's because of the attitude he had to success. He says in the song that he never needed anybody's help in any way. 
He talks about how he used to be so self-assured. And these words speak of John Lennon as a proud, self-made man. Someone who he believes has got where he is by his own hard work and graft and talent. He didn't need anybody else. He's done it to coin another famous song. He's done it his way. Which is all very well when life is going great, isn't it? As the lyrics of Help reveal, this attitude unfortunately though leaves him sadly lacking when trouble comes. As his life falls apart, he's suddenly insecure. Having never sought help and always gone it alone, he has no idea where to turn in a crisis. His only option is to shout help into the void, hoping that someone, anyone, might rescue him. But who? I want to contrast that with David in Psalm 9. How does David react to his success not like John Lennon? In our study of 1 Samuel 17, we saw David as this confident, faith-filled young man who knew that Goliath could be defeated because of the power available to him, the promises of God. Where John Lennon was self-assured, David was God-assured. Here in this victory psalm, we see him reveling in the victory and claiming precisely zero of the credit. Remember, he is the only Israelite who was willing to step up and fight Goliath. The only one who got a stone in a sling and actually had the bottle to throw it at him. To beat this unbeatable foe. And yet in the psalm, Psalm 9, we see him giving all the glory to God. And precisely zero to himself. In verse 1 he says, I give thanks with all of my heart. His total ascension is on God. All of my heart. None of it's distracted. I'm just giving thanks to you, God. He says, I will tell of your wonderful deeds. David doesn't claim an assist here. He doesn't say, God, I'm going to tell everyone about how you helped me to be Goliath. I'm going to tell everyone the story of how I threw the stone. And when I threw the stone, you guided it to him and, and hit him. And, and we did it together, God. It was a team effort. No. He says, God, I'm going to tell everyone of your wonderful deeds. Not mine. I didn't do anything here. This was you. He says, I will be glad and rejoice in you. You see, what he's celebrating here isn't his victory, it's God himself. It's a celebration, it's a rejoicing in God, not in, not in what he's achieved on the battlefield. It is God in whom David is delighted, not this victory. The rest of the psalm, David goes on to make clear just how mighty and powerful he sees God as. He talks about him as a king, as being enthroned, as being righteous and just. This victory for David isn't one about physical bravery and being this heroic shepherd boy, but it's the mighty deliverance from an all-powerful God who loves his people. David wants there to be no doubt to be left of who the hero is in this story. And so in his worship, David completely avoids the John Lennon-like pride and self-congratulation. That sort of pride and congratulation which actually has been Saul's downfall in his kingship. David focuses only on God in his success. And he avoids the pitfalls of self-assurance and self-reliance. Actually, our attitude in times of blessing and victory says so much about how we will behave in difficulty and defeat. Being able to rely totally on God and attribute our wins to him will make it far easier to depend on him and cry out to him worshipfully when difficult times come. We'll come back a little bit to Psalm 9 later, but I hope you get the idea that how David worships God in good times sets him up perfectly for how he responds to God in the difficult times. And now let's look at one of those difficult times. A second thing I want us to pull from this morning is that when we're worshipping God in the depths, it requires honesty and trust in him. 
We're going to look at another psalm now. It's Psalm 59. And here we find David in a really different situation. Here he is hemmed in. He's in great danger. It comes from a story that we looked at a couple of weeks ago. We looked at the friendship between Jonathan and David. We looked at David being on the run from this murderous, insecure king, Saul. Here David has legged it back to his home where his wife, Michael, his Saul's daughter is. And Saul has sent men to the house. They're surrounding the house. They're keeping watching it. They're waiting for David to make a move so they can kill him. I've asked Kate to just read the psalm out for us. Psalm 59. Deliver me from my enemies, O God. Protect me from those who rise up against me. Deliver me from evildoers and save me from bloodthirsty men. See how they lie in wait for me. Fierce men conspire against me. For no offence or sin of mine, O Lord. I have done no wrong, yet they are ready to attack me. Arise to help me. Look on my plight. O Lord, God Almighty, the God of Israel, rouse yourself to punish all the nations. Show no mercy to wicked traitors. They return at evening, snarling like dogs, and prowl about the city. See what they spew from their mouths. They spew out swords from their lips, and they say... Who can hear us? But you, O Lord, laugh at them. You scoff at all those nations. O my strength, I watch for you. You, O God, are my fortress, my loving God. God will go before me and will let me gloat over those who slander me. But do not kill them, O Lord, our shield, or my people will forget. In your might make them wander about and bring them down. For the sins of their mouths, for the words of their lips, let them be caught in their pride. For the curses and lies they utter, consume them in wrath, consume them till they are no more. Then it will be known to the ends of the earth that God rules over Jacob. They return at evening, snarling like dogs and prowl about the city. They wander about for food and howl if not satisfied. But I will sing of your strength. In the morning I will sing of your love, for you are my fortress, my refuge in times of trouble. O my strength, I sing praise to you. You, O God, are my fortress, my loving God. I wonder if you've ever felt like you're in a situation like David was in, the way you felt like you're backed into a corner, like Chris talked to us about last week in his talk about being our our backs against the wall, where your circumstances have swirled around you, leaving you just feeling helpless, simply waiting for the axe to fall, so to speak. Maybe it's been pressure at work, or maybe your job's been at risk and you've just been waiting for the worst to happen, or you've been struggling in your finances, or you've been waiting on a difficult health diagnosis, or you've been struggling with a mental health problem, you felt imprisoned by anxiety and depression. Or maybe even in this COVID crisis, it's just felt like you're just struggling and struggling. How do you react in these situations? What song do you sing? You see, in some sense, there's a similarity between David and John Lennon here. They're both very honest about what they're facing. They both know that they need help. John Lennon admits, I need someone. I'm feeling down. And David very honestly talks about what he's facing too. He vividly describes his attackers in Psalm 59. He says in verse 3, see how they lie in wait for me. In verse 6, he says, they return in the evening, snarling like dogs and prowling around the city. And in verse 7, see what, see what they spew from their mouths. Their words from their lips are sharp as swords. This is a moment of real trauma for David. His life is under threat. The king is intent on killing him. 
There's no stiff upper lip here from David. It's, it's a cry of distress and dismay at the situation. And that's a good thing. We, we need to be honest in our struggles with God. But here's where the difference is between John, uh, John Lennon and David. You see, John Lennon shouts into the void. He's not quite sure where he's directing his cry for help. He just shouts, help me, someone, anyone I need, I need help. But David knows exactly where he is to turn. In verse 1, right from the start, delivery from my, deliver me from my enemies, O God. Be my fortress from those who are attacking me. Deliver me from evildoers and save me from those who are after my blood. David just tells God how it is. Look, I'm surrounded. They're outside. They want me dead. So please, please help me. David is so certain of where his prayer, uh, where, he, where to direct his prayer and his worship because of the incredible trust that he has in God. In verse five, we see, we see this come out throughout the psalm. In verse five, he says, you, Lord God Almighty, you are the God of Israel. He knows who God is. He knows he's almighty or powerful. In verses 9 to 10, he says, You are my strength. I watch for you. God, you are my fortress. My God on whom I can rely. God will go before me. In verse 16, he says, I will sing of your strength. In the morning, I will sing of your love. You are my fortress, my refuge in times of trouble. These are not aimless shouts into the ether. They are targeted statements of worship to God. When John Lennon's anguish cries were, I need someone, help me if you can. Won't you please help me? David shouts, I know I have you, God. I know you're everything I need and I trust you. So now deliver me. You can see the difference. Now David's in this awful situation and worship doesn't make the situation easy. But through worship, he is able to find peace. He's able to remember that he's not alone, that he has with him a God who is strong, who is mighty, who is his fortress, who is his protector. And this amazing confidence and trust, as we said, it comes from that experience of the heights. In Psalm 9, where David thanks God for delivering him from, from Goliath, we see it, you know, he, he's so confident that God's delivered him in that situation that it's natural that in this pain and suffering now to return to God, to ask for his help again. I wonder, those of us who might be feeling a bit like David at the moment, maybe surrounded by trial and trauma, feeling utterly trapped by life, hemmed in, oppressed, do you know where to turn? Perhaps in COVID-19, like John Lennon, you found yourself crying out into the general nothing, nothingness, just searching for anyone, someone to help. Maybe you've tried books and TV and newspaper articles and the advice of friends, trying to find answers, but ultimately finding more confusion. It reminds, I want to remind us this morning of what David knew. In fact, not what he knew, but who he knew. That God is his fortress. God is his strength. The huge thing that David does in this psalm, which is vital for us too, is to look at God. When we're in the depths, it's so tempting to focus all our attention on the problem, on the enemy, on whatever it is that's out to get us. And we just look at them and we're just fearful. What are they going to do next? What's going to happen? When's it going to happen? But David in verse 9 of this psalm says, you are my strength, Lord. I watch for you. Later on in his life, David penned another psalm, Psalm 121. He said, I lift my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. David's eyes, David's focus is on God. 
He knows it's God's actions which matter most. Any enemy, any opposition is powerless compared to God. So why watch the enemy when you can watch God? And worshipping God even in the midst of trial enables us to glimpse his power, his comfort, his peace. It relieves the pain. It reduces the size of what we're facing in the moment because everything looks tiny compared to the God of all creation whose hands flung stars into space. And through worshipping God, David sees that. Psalm 59 is just an example of how important and powerful and rewarding it is to fix our eyes on God when trouble comes our way. And trouble will come our way. Trouble is coming our way in many ways. It's not a guarantee that our troubles will disappear, but it's a reminder that we have God who goes before us, who is with us in every situation and who offers peace and protection and love in all trials and all circumstances. He's our rock. He's our fortress. He's our hope. Worshipping God in the depths requires honesty with God about what we're facing and then look into the truth of who he is. Look into his sustaining love to guide us through. So we've seen that worshipping in the heights uh, helps us to worship in the depths. We've seen that worshipping in the depths requires honesty and trusting in God. Final thing I want to just draw this morning is that worshipping in the depths depends on knowing our position with God. See, this thing from David's worship of God is that we see that he's a man who understands his position in relationship to God. David believes and trusts in an active, living and good God. And when he's successful, he knows it's down to God. And when he's suffering, he knows it's God he can rely on for protection and help, for deliverance and future hope. But don't miss something really important here. The relationship that David has with God isn't some sort of king's treat, some sort of reward that's exclusive only to David. David is no more deserving of God's grace and favour uh, in and of himself than you or me. It's actually we'll see as the story goes on in the coming weeks that David is a flawed and sinful and rebellious human just like us. So why did he have such a special relationship with God? Well, there's a line in verse nine, in Psalm 9 which gives it away. David says, those who know your name trust in you. For you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. Seeking God and trusting him, putting your faith in him. That's it. That's the key. That, that's, that's, that's the key to worshipping God, to understanding our position with him. It helps us to know that it's available to us. It's fantastic news for us because we see that David's received God's blessing and its protection, not because of his wealth or his education or his physical stature or his holiness or anything else about him. He's received it purely because of his trust in God and, and, his, and his desire to seek him out. He puts his faith in God and God rewards him. And, and that's the same for us. God, in Psalm 9, in Psalm 9, David assures us that God's permanent blessing and protection is for anyone who seeks and trusts him. God promises over and over again in scripture that he will bless and protect those who are faithful to him. It's the kind of trusting, worshipful relationship that David has with God that is fully available to you and to me and we even have an advantage over David he had this relationship with God without knowing Jesus we get to do it with Jesus we have the full details of God's rescue plan for humanity we know that God has sent his only son Jesus for us to live on earth a sinless life to sacrifice himself to death for us to pay the price for our sin before being raised to life so that he can restore us to God we know all that David didn't we know all that we have an advantage we know that this relationship is available to us all. We know it is a free gift through faith alone, in Christ alone, by grace alone. In other words, all we need to do to have the kind of worshipping relationship with God that David has 
is just to accept that there is nothing we can do to save ourselves and just trust that God has provided a saviour for us in Jesus Christ. Having that faith doesn't mean that nothing, that everything will always go right for us in this life. 2020 is surely evidence of that alone. There will be trials, there will be storms, there will be tough times. But when we understand our position with God, we understand the opportunity we have of a relationship with him. We know that that relationship with him means we're never, ever alone, that we have a bright, perfect, eternal future hope. The joy and reality of which will far exceed any trial that we go through here on earth. You see, the biggest fear we could really have on earth, surely, is death. And God has already completely dealt with that for us. He sent his son Jesus to die and he raised him to life again to defeat the power of death once and for all. When we understand that overarching position that we are going to have eternal life with God, then we are able to worship God fully in every situation. We know that as Christians, if we die today or tomorrow, that as people who have our faith in God, we are assured of being with him forever. Ultimately, in a new heaven and a new earth where there will be no more pain, no more sorrow, no more suffering and no more death. That knowledge, that eternal security alone surely is enough to mean that no matter what we face, we can praise God knowing that something better is surely coming. I wonder as we close this morning, as we've looked at worshipping God in the height and in the depths, how are you getting on with worshipping God in this season? If, like me, you're probably really missing our Sunday mornings together, our opportunity to sing and praise God as a, as a corporate body together in the presence of God, that is such a powerful thing and, and, and we're really, really missing it. It's what we were made to do, actually, to be together singing God's praises. It's what we're heading for in eternity. But you know what? The fact that we can't do it together on a Sunday morning, it doesn't mean that we, we're unable to worship God effectively in this season. In fact, it mustn't mean that. If we're going to get through this tough season and any tough season in our lives, if we're going to make it through these depths, we have to, like David, be the kind of people who are rooted in worship, in the singing of truth and exaltation to God. And there's loads of ways to do that. You don't need a big canteen and a band and loads of people around you on a Sunday morning to worship God well. David didn't have a worship band with him when he wrote a lot of his psalms. A lot of them he's writing them, sat in the back of a cave, trembling for his life. He didn't even have Spotify or YouTube to listen to worship songs on, on demand. We're pretty fortunate, really. I want to really encourage you and challenge you this week, if you know God, to spend some serious, quality, joyful time singing his praises this week. Lift your eyes away from the, the stresses and the struggles of this world, as real and as difficult as they are, and fix your eyes on our Saviour, on the one in whom we can have complete trust and take refuge and draw strength from. Listen to some songs, sing along to them, maybe even write down your own psalm to God. Do what David did, have a go. Tell him, tell God what's on your heart, write it down as a psalm of your own. Pour out your heart to him in praise and in request. And express your love and trust in him and experience as you do that the joy and the comfort of his friendship. Do not let this time be wasted by just regretting what we're missing. Let's take this opportunity to cultivate a new, deeper love and heart for worship. A new, deeper dependency on God in worship. A new relationship with the one who is worthy of every single bit of our praise. 
as we do that, as we lift our eyes to the mighty one who has won and assured our eternal joy and safety, the effect of our difficulties is lessened and our love for our saviour is increased. We can take refuge. We can enter his fortress and experience his protection. As I say, we, we don't necessarily see the situation automatically change as we do this. The pain and the struggle might continue for some time yet. But as our gaze is drawn to the God who is bigger, the God who is able, the God who we are going to spend an awesome eternity with, the God we can rely on, and the one who is fully deserving of our praise as we do that, that can only be a helpful thing. You know what, guys, at the moment, we need somebody. Not just anybody, but we have him. We have God, and he is ours forever. Hallelujah.